We're in a summer series, and look at this attendance. Uh, this is so uh, heartening to see so many on a Sunday in um, July come out for worship. We're always appreciative to see everybody here. But I've enjoyed preaching this series. Uh, we're um, maybe a little over halfway on it. And we um, started on Father's Day with the word family, a powerful word of hope. If our families were stronger in this world, perhaps the world would be a different place. And in other words, have been freedom, unity, compassion, and neighbor. And today, we come to the word prayer. In Luke's gospel, it reads, he was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give, each, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. The word of the Lord. Well, what if the wor- world had this powerful word, prayer? It's through prayer that we connect to God, so you would think this would be one of the most powerful words on all the earth. Prayer. To connect to God. But in fact, the world does have this word, prayer. And Christians are not the only people on the earth who pray. There are all kinds of people praying all kinds of prayers this morning. Written prayers. Prayers from the heart. Angry prayers. Joyful prayers. Prayers loaded with requests for God to fulfill. Prayers with deep life questions in them. Silent prayers, public prayers, people talking to God all over the earth today. And the world has this word, the whole world, and it's not unique to us. It's interesting that his disciples came to him with this request. They said, Lord, teach us to pray, as if to say, we don't know how? So you don't instinctively just know how to talk to God. You can't just start talking without being taught. Is there something here to be learned about how to pray? And when Jesus gave his disciples the Lord's prayer, as we call it, 
He was not likely teaching them that these are the only words you can pray. Pray this and pray this only because he himself would pray a different kind of prayer in the prayer of of, uh, Garden of Gethsemane. You remember when he prayed his deep agonizing prayer? It wasn't this prayer. Or in John's gospel, Jesus prays on and on and on and on and on these long prayers about his disciples and the world and his departure. So whatever he's saying in the Lord's prayer, he's not saying this is all there is to prayer, but perhaps he's giving us the anatomy of prayer, the bones, the structure, the balance of talking to God. Now, the Lord's Prayer is only found in two Gospels, Matthew and Luke, and they both differ as to, and you notice the the differences in when I read Luke's Gospel of of what we actually say and what's in Luke's Gospel. The same would be true in Matthew's Gospel. But when Luke begins his Gospel by just saying, Father, Matthew begins by saying, Our Father. I think that's a big word, our. Our. One that shouldn't be left out. Because who would be excluded from the word our? No one. So when I pray the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, our Father, I'm talking about everybody. Not just me. I don't say my Father. The prayer doesn't begin with me. My Father who art in heaven. It's more than personal. It's corporate. It encompasses everybody. People who are like me, people who are unlike me, people who may be Christians, people who aren't Christians. There's no one excluded. So when I begin to pray, I pray for all of God's people. Everybody's included in prayer. You can't connect with God without being swept into a stream of God's activity in the world. And to call call God Father was very different in this day. Because the Jews would not even mention God's name. They wouldn't even say God's name out loud. Out of reverence. Don't say the name. It's too holy for you to speak with your tainted lips. And so for Jesus to call God Father, and in one place he calls God Abba Father, which Abba actually means Daddy. That is so intimate and personal to say Abba Father Daddy Father we don't even say God's name and here you are bringing in this intimacy with God it's uncomfortable and the word Father may feel exclusive to many of us today spoken in a male dominant society when the Bible was written but I think the underlying intent of this word is not to be sexist, but to imply intimacy. Father, mother, parent. One who is attached to me. One who created me. One who loves me. One who will invite me to the table no matter where I've been or how dirty I am or how sinful I might be. There is no day my mother would not invite me to her table or my father loved me as his son. So to call God father is to automatically say this God is not austere, all powerful, wanting to crush you in some way. This is a God who loves you. If the world understood just these first two words, 
the world would change. Ire includes everybody. And Father is a God who loves us. Powerful words Jesus has given us. And then he said, pray this, hallowed be thy name. Now, we don't talk like that. I mean, when's the last time you used the word hallowed? I mean, you don't use that word. It's too formal. It's too Bible sounding. Um, it's too distant a language. But to say hallowed be thy name is to respect God for being God. And what Jesus is telling you is prayer begins here. Prayer doesn't begin with your wish list as if God is some genie in a bottle. Let's get our prayer request all lined up and make sure God hears them all. And then maybe God will run off and do the things we tell God to do. Jesus is saying that's, that's not prayer. Prayer begins with centering yourself into who God is, not what God will do. Hallowed be thy name is a matter of reference. And how desperately do you think the world needs reverence today? It's a word we've almost lost. We've almost lost the word civility But to lose the word reverence for God, how dare we speak God's name in any kind of vain or vulgar fashion when we are but mere human beings taking the name of the Almighty and in some way slashing it down to the mud at our level. That's why it's one of the Ten Commandments, folks. Because if you misuse the name, you have forgotten who that God is and who you are. And oh, by the way, who you are not. Yeah. It's a big deal in prayer. Jesus didn't waste in any words here. He, you know, this is a short little thing. So everything that's in it is, is potent. Every word has a meaning. When you pray, our Father, hallowed be thy name, you just centered yourself into who you are and who you're not and who God is. And and there's a lot more prayer left. How desperately do you think the world needs reverence? And reverence comes through prayer. And that's why there's no such thing as a little prayer. I've been in places and people say, well, preacher, and I hate it when they call me preacher. They say, preacher, Um, so now all of you will do that, I know, yeah. (laughs) I get it. But you know, they say, preacher, could you have a little prayer? And, And most of the time now, I've gotten older, so I just say what I think, and I just say no. (laughs) And they're always stunned. What do you mean, no, you won't have a little prayer? That's what we pay you for. And I'll say, because there is no such thing as a little prayer. How can prayer be little? Our Father. Whole thing's there. That includes the girl who's all tattooed up and got earrings and looks real different from me and thinks different from me and is into spiritualism and doesn't believe in Christianity. She's in the word our 
I pray with her and for her. Who would be excluded? No, there's no such thing as a little prayer. Don't ever say that anymore. You have a little prayer? No. That's like saying, are you a little married? No, prayer's huge. It tells you who you are. It tells you who God is. And it recenters the world. And then he says, you know, it just gets better from here. He says, I want you to pray for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done. Wow. Do you really want to do that? Do you really want the will of God to happen in your life? Or in the life of your son or daughter or in your marriage? Would you want the will of God to happen in the city of Richmond, Virginia? The will of God to happen in this city? Would you want the will of God to happen in the United States of America? Not one party or the other party's will, but God's will. That's a, that's a, that's a radical prayer to pray, by the way. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. That means all kingdoms yield to your kingdom, even the kingdom of myself. To pray for the kingdom precedes any prayers for my own needs or my own concerns. Look, Jesus doesn't have you praying for yourself yet. Prayer begins with who God is and what God wants and what God establishes. That's where it begins. Who wouldn't want to pray for the will of God? Because whatever the will of God is would be perfect. So I pray for your will to be done in this and in that and in the other. Because if your will was done in this church, I could take my hands off of it and forget about it. Because whatever's going to happen next is going to be right. It'll be right. Lead us to our next senior pastor. You know, well, maybe this one, maybe that. Listen, I pray for your will to be done. And whatever that is, that'll be good enough. Because why? Because it'll be perfect. To pray for the kingdom to come is to pray for God's rule, God's authority, God's will, God's ethics, God's morals, and God's way of life to dominate the earth. That's a huge prayer. There's no such thing as little prayer. That's a lack of understanding of what we're doing. To pray for the kingdom is to pray for the kind of life God intended all people to have on earth. Nobody should die of starvation. Nobody should be living out of a cardboard box. You think this is the will of God. And some of us living way too rich while others live too poor. I don't know what to do about that. What do you do? All the rich give everything you have away to the poor. Then they become rich. You become poor. We got the same problem. But praying for the kingdom to come, for God's will to be done, releases my will and my kingdom to God. I give up. I'm no longer the king. I'm off the seat. You're the king, and your will be done. Kierkegaard wrote, the true relation in prayer is not when God hears what is prayed for. 
But when the person praying continues to pray until he or she is the one who hears what God wills. I love that. I'm not trying to get God to hear me in prayer. I'm trying to pray long enough until I finally hear God. That's a switch. We pray for God's will to be done. Jesus said, pray thy will be done. Not thought about in a Sunday school class. Thy will be thought about theologically in a seminary. Thy will be preached upon and pontificated from the pulpits of the Christian churches. But thy will actually be done, accomplished. We pray for things to change when we pray this prayer. We pray for something to happen, something to be different. And that something is not our will. It's not what we want. It's not about our ideas. It's not about our dreams and it's not about our wishes. That something is the will of God no matter what it is. I'll take it. I'll take it. And only then, think about this with me, the first, there's seven petitions in this prayer and the first three are all about God. You're not mentioned in there anywhere. And only then does Jesus shift to us. In three phrases, Jesus teaches us to pray for the present, the past, and the future. If you thought about this, the present, this day, our daily bread, the past, we pray for forgiveness of our sins as we forgive, and the future, we pray not to be led into temptation. Jesus is saying in prayer, you encompass all time. Prayer encompasses the healing of the past that needs to be done, the forgiveness that needs to happen to reconstruct that past. You pray for the present on what you need today. Just this day is enough. And you pray for the future that you might not fall and stumble and continue to be faithful. It's a perfectly balanced prayer. Clovis Chapel wrote this years ago. In praying this prayer, we are asking for a community into which Jesus would fit. We're asking for homes in which he could be entertained without embarrassment. We're asking for churches upon whose ministry he would look with approval. We're asking for a city whose streets uh, he would walk without having his heart broken. We're asking for factories and places of business into which he could go without burning with indignation. We're asking for schools that would measure up to his demands. We're asking for amusements upon which he could smile. We're asking for literature that he could read without his eyes blurring with tears. Wow. We're asking for the kingdom. And then we come to the end of this prayer. And and it says this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And Jesus never actually said those words. Where'd they come from? They're not in the Bible. They're not on either one of the Lord's prayers in either Luke or Matthew's gospel. So how did these words get tacked on to Jesus? They came from the church. And it's the doxology. The prayer became liturgical, something the church said together. And when it did, the church added this doxology, this liturgical response, which recenters us yet again as to who God is and who we are 
the kingdom and the power and the glory do not belong to us. They belong to God. The kingdom and the power and the glory don't belong to America. They don't belong to Great Britain. They don't belong to Russia. They don't belong to any nation. The prayer says this, the kingdom, the power, and the glory belong to God. To God. Everything else will fall. It's amazing. This little prayer. It's a statement of faith. In the face of all adversaries, It's a statement of faith in the face of all other kingdoms, of all lesser powers, of all false glories. This doxology tagged onto Jesus' prayer leaves the world in God's hands and not in ours. It is our declaration of faith and hope, for thine is the kingdom. I might be looking at the world and seeing chaos, but this prayer says that's not it. Thine is the kingdom. And it will overshadow all other kingdoms. I don't know. What if the world not only had this word in its vocabulary, but actually used it in the way Jesus intended? How different do you think this world might be with this understanding of the word prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.